Open your Bibles, please, to the prophet Joel, the second chapter, beginning in verse 23. And I'll try to stall around, and if you're using your Bible until you can find the minor prophet Joel, it usually takes a little longer to find the minor prophets than it does the major ones. But Joel, chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. We're in this uh, sermon series as we're thinking together about uh, when dreams take on life, the whole uh, business of our discerning season, our season of discovery of God's dream for us, and uh, imagine if is the name of that process. And so we're thinking this morning along with the prophet Joel about what it means to dream that dream and to be in step with that dream. And in just a moment, I'm going to read from Joel 2, 23 and following. And I invite you before we do that to bow together for a moment of silence and a moment of centering and a moment of prayer. Mighty and loving God, we invite your presence in our hearts and in our space of worship and your presence hovering and brooding over this text this morning that you might teach us your truth and show us things we've not seen before. We ask for forgiveness and cleansing, for refreshment and refilling and renewal. We ask for fresh experience with you that would keep our walk with you up to date. We thank you, God, that you have delivered us from the realm of darkness into light, from the realm of emptiness to abundance, and from selfishness to love. May we live the resurrection of Jesus. And today we pray for all of those among our congregation who are sick and grieving. We pray for our world that it might be a place of safety. We pray your blessing upon those in the armed forces, for all of our mission partners. And this week we've been reminded once again, how important it is to pray for our schools and their safety, for the administrators and staff and faculty, the teachers, the assistants, the students and their families, the bus drivers and all who lead in this education enterprise that you might bless and watch over them. We ask God that you bless our legislature, our governor, our U.S. Congress, our president, that you might guide them in the ways of peace and justice and Lead us as a people. Open our hearts to those things that you want to accomplish as we dream together about becoming all that you've created First Baptist to be. We wait in anticipation and thanksgiving. In the name of Christ, amen. I invite you, if you're able, to stand as I read aloud from Joel chapter 2, verses 23 through the end of the chapter. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down from you the abundant rain, the early and later rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain, the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper and the destroyer and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. And sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I, the Lord, am your God and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Then afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. 
even on the male and female slaves. In those days I will pour out my spirit. I will show portents in heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The prophet Joel was prophesying to a nation that was in great distress and great turmoil. In fact, they were in great panic. They were experiencing drought. They were experiencing the infestation of grasshoppers and locusts, uh, ravaging the land. They were in great distress. And I want you to notice what the prophet Joel did. Instead of adding to the panic, instead of adding to the hand-wringing and the despair and the sense of hopelessness, He offers an alternative. He offers a fresh vision, a dream of God working in the world in a new way. That's a good cue for First Baptist Church because we are ministering in a time of great confusion, a time of great anxiety in our community and in our world. And we could just wring our hands along with everyone else and we could uh, add to the panic, add to the sense of despair, or we could like Joel, offer an alternative vision of God's dream, where God is taking us, where God is leading us. You see, God always works best when there's disequilibrium in our lives. Did you realize that? That we're, we're more open to God, we're more humble and available to God when there's disequilibrium in our lives, when things are upset. And God is always able through His Spirit to undo the things that aren't working anymore. God is always able to undo the things that have served a purpose but are no more. And God is always able to usher in the new. And so with the prophet Joel, we want to be in on God's dream. We want to catch up with what God is doing. And the imaginative process, as I mentioned earlier, as I mentioned last week has us dreaming God's dream around five big dreams. And I'll show those on the screen uh, and we'll think together about those big dreams that you saw last week and you're going to be hearing a lot about them. God-centered worship, life-changing faith, authentic relationships, community transformation, global partners. These are the big dreams that God, we believe, we sense. God is calling us to take part in to participate in, and that those dreams might take on life. Now, the prophet Joel really has one simple word for First Baptist Church this morning. And it simply is this, that our dreams will never turn to deeds until we really understand the words all and everyone. All and everyone. Both of those words appear in a strategic fashion, in the scripture that I read from Joel chapter 2 just a moment ago. All and everyone. For example, in verse 28, did you notice that the promise is that the Holy Spirit will drench the lives of all kinds of people? There's no special class of clergy as opposed to laity. The Spirit will drench and empower for service 
all of God's people. You see, in the Old Testament days, most of the scriptures and stories we study, the Holy Spirit only came on special people for special jobs at special times. The elite class. But Joel is predicting the time of New Testament era when the Holy Spirit will come upon all of God's people and we will all be eligible for Christian service. Did you catch it in verse 28? The Spirit will come on all flesh, all flesh and there are no gener- generational limitations, sons and daughters, old men dreaming dreams, young men seeing visions. There's no uh, class distinction It comes on slaves, the poorest class, as well as the wealthiest class. There's no gender uh, difference or distinction. Even the male and female will have spirit poured upon them. There is this allness that we have to grasp or we will never be able to march into the dream that God has for us. You know, uh, thinking for just a moment about that inclusiveness of gender, male and female, I want to just tell you that I'm very proud to pastor a church that believes in the equality of male and female when it comes to giftedness and calling for Christian ministry, whether that's laity or whether that's clergy. I'm very thankful and very proud. I was uh, studying this scripture this week, and I remembered a story uh, from years ago that the week that I got to meet Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, translator and biographer, Everhard uh, Betka, uh, up at William Jewell several years ago, we got to spend about three days with him. And he told this delightful story that I've not seen in any of his writings. He told about a particular church in Germany during World War II. And, of course, most of the men who were able-bodied were conscripted into Nazi military service and were, were taken away. And it seems that this particular church in Germany that Betka told about, uh, the pastor was conscripted. Uh, he went to the Russian front. He was killed in battle. There were no more male pastors to take his place. So the wife, the widow of this pastor, uh, assumed the duties of pastoring. And she pastored that church all through the war years. And remember, the war years for Germany lasted longer than they did even for the United States. And when the war was over, she stepped down, and that church called a male pastor. And Betka said one day, a little boy was running down the street of that village, and he was yelling, come quick, you've got to see something strange, a man in the pulpit, a man preaching. He'd never seen it before in his young life. And Joel's promise is that the Spirit will come on all flesh, All will be eligible to serve. All will be ready to serve because the Spirit does not make distinction. And we have to grasp that. See, we're going to need all hands on deck to become the people that God is dreaming for First Baptist to be. We need everybody. uh, I'm old enough to remember the landing of the Apollo 11 mooncraft uh, on that Sunday afternoon in July in 1969. And uh, I'm looking around. There are quite a few of us who are old enough to remember that landing that Sunday afternoon. The three astronauts uh, embedded in, in U.S. history, uh, the walk that Neil Armstrong made on the moon that day, and those famous words, one small step and so forth. 
amazing. And they, they are certainly heroes, Apollo 11 flight crew. But guess what? Behind that flight crew of three, the experts say there were 500,000 people who made the Apollo 11 moon landing possible. A half a million people planning it, helping to execute it, safeguarding, backup plans, getting them back safely, all the communication, 500,000 people. It takes all of us. And you know, sometimes First Baptist churches develop a little pride about doing things with excellence, and, and that's a good thing when we're serving the Lord. But you know what? We can never let perfection become more important than participation. That's why I had them mess up the video earlier today. I did it on purpose. I'm lying. I'm lying. But you know, sometimes we get so hung up on perfection, but the Lord called us to serve. He didn't call us to perfection. He calls us to serve, to offer what we can, to be filled with His Spirit, all of us. Our goal is participation, not perfection. I love that line by... uh, the great Victorian Baptist preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said once, I realized God could save the world without me, but when he told me that I might help him, I praised him for the honor and privilege. Isn't that a great quote? God could save the world without First Baptist Church. God can save the world without you, without me, but what a privilege that he says, I'd like you to help. I'd like you to participate. I'm going to pour out my flesh my, my spirit on all flesh. I want everyone to be involved and to take part. What a great promise. The dreams never turn into deeds until we get that word all and everyone clear in our hearts and heads. And verse 32, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's been said that the most boring human experience is to sit through the reading of a last will and testament, unless your name is in it, right? Remember that story I told you about Andrew? Andrew was sitting at the table with some other family members while the lawyer read the reading of his uncle's will, and Andrew's eyes were glazing over, and then all of a sudden the lawyer said, as he read the document, and to my nephew Andrew, and Andrew sat up, and to my nephew Andrew, who loves money, and he put his elbows on the table and he listened, to my nephew Andrew, who loves money, I leave my Monopoly game. (laughs) We all like it when our name's in it. Did you know that your name's in the Bible? It is. Because the Bible says, whosoever... For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him. Another translation is that everyone who believes in him. This verse in Joel 2.32 is so important that the apostle Peter preached from it on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. And he said these words from Joel that whoever, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This verse is so important 
that the Apostle Paul, when he was writing that significant passage about what it takes to pass from death into life, in Romans 10, quoted this. And as far as I know, every Bible I own has Romans 10, 13 underlined. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When I was a boy growing up at Maple Grove Baptist Church, and we had revival meetings, we always sang a hymn in our hymnal, Whosoever Meaneth Me. And we always like to talk about how our names are in the Bible because we are whosoever. We are everyone. And the promise is everyone. Everyone. Now, I almost without fail every week have the experience of someone saying to me, well, you know, I really would like to become a Christian. I'd like to trust Christ and believe that my sins are forgiven, but I'm the only one in church on Sunday who, and then fill in the blank. I've had people say to me, I'd like to come to church. I'd like to become a follower of Christ, but I'm the only one there who's struggling with mental illness. I'm the only one there struggling with an embarrassing addiction. I'm the only one there who's dealing with a failed marriage or kids who have broken my heart. I'm the only one there with, who doesn't have enough good clothes to come to church. I'm the only one there who has so many embarrassing sins. And I tell them, guess what? The person sitting beside you told me that same thing last week. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter how unworthy you feel. It doesn't matter how embarrassed you are. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And the promise of Scripture is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's an everyone promise. I don't know about you, but I, uh, I, get, am- I get amused at uh, some of the merchandising that comes across uh, through the mail or on TV or radio or whatever. Uh, They'll make a fantastic offer and then they'll say, some restrictions apply. And there'll be an asterisk on something you get in the mail. An unbelievable offer. And then an asterisk at the bottom, tiny print. Get the magnifying glass. Some restrictions apply. You know, you'll get a, a great offer, a coupon for a restaurant here in town. Man, this, this is great. Some, some restrictions apply. This is only good Monday through Thursday, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m or something, something bizarre, or uh, an offer for a cruise, some restrictions apply, is not valid for the 50 United States and Puerto Rico, or something like that, you know. Isn't it sad how, with, without even realizing it, over the years, we have developed this mentality in church, and we emit this this spirit in church that basically says everyone's welcome at First Baptist Church except some restrictions apply. Everyone's welcome at First Baptist Church, but oh, there's an asterisk. You know, not if you've done this and not if you're like that. God loves everybody. Jesus loved, died for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, except 
there are these exceptions, these restrictions apply. Well, guess what? The good news of Jesus Christ is there are no restrictions. The good news of Jesus Christ is that everyone means everyone. And all means all. It may be an apocryphal story about John Wesley. I I couldn't find any documentation uh, for sure, but even if it's apocryphal, it's a great story. Uh, The great founder of Methodism in England one time was sitting with a small group of boys, of, of young lads, and there was one boy in the circle who was from such poverty that he had no shoes on his feet, no socks, no stockings. Just dirty, grimy, cut-up feet. And the other boys in the circle, John Wesley noticed, started poking each other in the ribs and snickering and pointing and laughing at the underprivileged young man. And John Wesley did not say a word. He just reached down and took off his own shoes and sat in the circle with the boys barefooted. That's the dream that First Baptist Church is being called to by God. To live out the all, the everyone, to take off our shoes and be among the people, the hurting, beautiful people of our world and be the presence of Jesus. And when it comes down to it, folks, every day, each one of us is either a closed door or a doorway to Jesus. We are either blocking the way, or we are opening the way to Jesus, to the all, to the everyone, of living out God's dream for First Baptist Church. Let's pray. God, we want to be all you've called us to be. We want to be faithful followers. We want to be open doors of entrance. Change our hearts, open our lives. May we hear the everyone call to faith today. Amen.